0: How are we doing? Great. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Luke Gradeless. I have the great honor of being one of the pastors here at Harmony Baptist Church. Um, we are in a series called Be Strange. I'll explain that to you in a second. Before we jump into today's message, I want to talk to you guys about two weeks from now. So on January 29th, it's what we call a fifth Sunday. That's when we got five Sundays in the month. We're going to do something a little bit different. What we did last year is on Fifth Sundays, we'd bring the Spanish congregation and the English congregation together and we'd worship together and then have a meal. We're going to do that, but we're also going to add one caveat. Typically, we have children's church running in the back and the kids are back there and they're going through a church service just like ours, but geared towards them. Some music that they understand has some dance moves for them to get some of that energy out. Uh, Bible lessons that are more geared to them so that they learn and they grow. But one of the things we want to do this year is on 5th Sunday at least try it, is bring the kids into service with us. Now let me explain that to you real quick because I know there's a lot of different thoughts on that. But the big thing that we are seeing in American churches right now is we are losing 90% of our church children at 18 years old. So forget people who don't go to church. of the children who are raised in the church at 18 won't come back to church probably ever again. They'll at least be gone until their mid-30s or when they have children, and even then only about half of them will ever try to come back to church. I want you to think about that for a second. We're supposed to go out into all the nations and bring disciples back in, and we can't even keep our kids. But well, when you talk to these children, a lot of what we're learning is, is that they're not seeing in church people who embrace them in life, who showed them how to live a Christian life, who showed them a genuine love for God. And so what we want to do is we believe Children's Church is teaching our children as well, but we want them to start having to church and worshiping with you. So they go, this is what mom and dad do too. That's what worship looks like. And it creates an opportunity for you to leave that Sunday and go home and have a conversation with them. To be honest, parents, that has to happen every week. If all your kids are getting from the Word is what they get here once a week, you got problems. It's not going to stick. Okay. It may help. It may augment. It may be a light in the midst of darkness. But what they should be getting from you all the time is the word. And so what we want to try on the fifth Sunday, and I know it's going to be some work for you guys who got the younger ones, is I want you to have them next to you, and I want them to see. I want them to see mom and dad singing and worshiping God. Amen. I want to see have them see mom and dad listening to the Bible. I want to have them go home, and in the car, you're having a conversation about the songs we sung and about the lessons we learned. I'll be preaching a message on David and Goliath. It'll be shorter, so what we're going to try to do that Sunday is only about 50 minutes. I know it's going to be a real struggle for me, but uh, we're going to try to keep it to 50 minutes. 30 of it's probably going to be music. Brother Joe's going to do about five minutes with the kids themselves, and so that leaves me about 10 to 15 minutes to give you guys a little bit more depth. It'll be around a story that the kids are used to, like David and Goliath. But that's going to be an opportunity for you to go home, have that conversation with them. And again, we're not doing this every week, but we do think there's something valuable to the children worshipping with their parents. Okay, so we're going to try that out. Um, I ask you, please come. I know some of you with the toddlers and the younger guys are like, do you know what kind of work that is? I do. Thankfully, I'll get to preach. My wife will have to deal with that. But we understand. We want to try it, and then what I'd ask you is after it, give us honest feedback. Give us honest feedback. Maybe what we'll learn is the younger guys aren't ready for it. But this is something we at least want to make an effort on, is that we're really engaging our families and making them stronger in the Word. Okay, so two weeks, January 29th. Hope to see you. Keep it on your calendars. Remember what we're going to be doing. All right? Any questions, seek me out after service. One other quick announcement. Uh, We are looking at having a Valentine's Day banquet. Uh, Diane's going to be running that for us. So after church, if you're interested in either attending or being part of the group organizing it, if you want to hang out for just a few minutes in the fellowship hall, Diane's going to kind of run through some of those details. Alright? Alright, let's rock and roll. So be strange. Last week I told you one of my favorite quotes comes from a pastor named A.W. Tozer. And Tozer said, Go to church once a week and nobody thinks anything of it. Worship God seven days a week and you become strange. Mm -hmm. That's what I want us to be. I want us to be strange. It's funny, in America right now, we are realizing the impact of our technology and our society as a whole on relationships. Honestly, we now stink at relationships. Why? Because we no longer know how to have intimate relationships deep emotionally rooted relationships. We think because I see you on Facebook and I know where you vacation and I've looked at some pictures and I see pictures of your food and you get to read my political opinions that somehow that's the same as us being truly great friends who sit in a room and share life together. It's not true. Honestly, the two biggest ways of communication right now are Twitter and Facebook. Do you know what's amazing about those two pieces of communication styles? They are not dependent on anything coming back to you. They are platforms built on, let me share my thoughts, really don't care what you guys think. I mean, hopefully you'll like it. You know, I hope I generate some social buzz here. But the reality is, I just want to put my thoughts out into the world, and you can respond. It's not real communication. And as you look at our society, we see everywhere what's happening is deep, intimate relationships are dying. Our divorce rates through the sky. In fact, we have more and more people not even getting married. Dating is starting to disappear. Did you realize this? Young children, 18 and older, are not dating as much. They'll do group things, but it terrifies them to be one-on-one with each other. Crazy. Crazy. We are losing the ability to have intimate relationships. And frankly, we see it happening in the church too. <laughs> to me, how I always kind of view the church and I view of Christianity is at the center, you have a relationship with God. Now around that, you have rules, you have ethics, you have morality, things God says to do and not to do. And around that you have characteristics, things that we hope to see in Christians. You're joyful, you're happy, you're loving, you have power, these kind of things. What's happened though, is we as Christians have forgotten that the center of that is a powerful life-changing relationship with God. And instead we have directed our attention to the rules, the morality, and the characteristics that we're supposed to display. It's why you run into Christians who know everything you're supposed to do and not supposed to do and can judge you very well but have no passion for God at all. And so what I'm asking you to think about in this series is is where are you with your relationship with God? Frankly, I don't care if you know the rules. Frankly, I don't care if you have a busy church calendar. What I care about is that you have a consuming, awesome desire to be in the presence of God. Amen. That you are infatuated with Him. That you are in love with Him. That you realize He is the coolest, awesomest, greatest, most amazing being ever. And all you want to do is be with Him. Amen. That's what I want to see. And frankly, what I kind of see sometimes is we're church people. Gotta go to church. Sunday. Gonna sit here. This is fun. Right? I mean, guys, what's funny to me, right, men, did we sing well today? No, we did not sing well today. What's funny, though, is the same guys who'd sing, well, my voice isn't really good and I don't really do that. If I put you at a football game, and it would be the fourth quarter with two minutes to go and your team's driving down the field. Your voice would be gone because you were yelling so much. All right? Bring that here. Amen. Who cares about 22 men running on a field with a piece of leather? Really? Oh, we got the leather to the white line. Yes! Who cares? Who cares? You have a relationship with a life-changing almighty God. Who wants to bring you into things that will change the world. And that you're like, man, can we snooze a few more minutes today? Do we really have to go? We could just listen to it online. You know? No. So keys to the series, because I started this last week. So I want to make sure, if you missed, you kind of get the key to the series here. Alright? The key to you understanding today's message is to first understand this. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whatever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Amen. So listen, I'm gonna be talking today about power, peace, and faithfulness. Now I'll be honest, what I see a lot of people mess up when they hear sermons about power, peace, and faithfulness is here's what happens. You listen in and you go, you know what? I really don't have a lot of peace in my life. I need to be more peaceful. So you walk out those doors and what your focus is on is I'm going to be peaceful this week. Me, I'm going to be peaceful. And so you look for opportunities that are chaos and go, going to be peaceful, going to be peaceful, going to be peaceful. And what you find is you're not really good at that. And here's why. If you were good at being peaceful, you already would have been. Already would have been. The key to this is, guys, the power, the peace, the faithfulness, not coming from you. You don't have it. Where you get these things is from Him. He's the vine, you're the branches. If you are just relying on yourself to change, not going to happen. Now, don't get me wrong. I've seen people without Christ acknowledge I'm weak at this and want to get better, and they get better. But you know what I find for a lot of them? They don't become content. They'll move the needle a little. But they never reach that place where they go, man, I really feel content in this. And the reason is that's it's not part of their character. You can't make something appear that's not there. This series, if you want these things to happen in your life, if you want these fruits, if you want these fruits to appear, it's not about you trying to get the fruits. It's about you getting close to God. And to be real, folks, most of us mess this up. In fact, most of us pastors mess this up. A lot of us are so concerned about getting people into church that what we do is we do a sales pitch for you on Jesus. Are you poor? Are you unhappy? Do you have a bad relationship? Well, I got Jesus, and he's going to solve that for you. But wait, that's not all. If you sign up now and walk this aisle, we'll also give you some joy. It's not a sales pitch. The only reason I want you coming to Jesus is because you want Jesus. Not because you want His stuff. You want Him. Amen. Now the cool part is, is once you pursue Christ, what you realize is, He just starts giving you stuff. He just abundantly gives. But the gift is Him. The gift is Him. And where you've got to understand this is, is we get this in real life. Have any of you ever been used by somebody in a relationship? Right? Somebody was just your friend because you were the boss, or because you had a pickup truck, or because you had access to something, or you could get them a job, right? And all of a sudden, you became a very important person to them. It's why it's amazing when we're wealthy and life is going well, we have so many friends and family. Yet when things are going bad... All of a sudden, people ain't answering the phone calls anymore. right? Because it wasn't about you together. It was about what you had at the moment. And so what God says to us is, look, these things, these come from Galatians 5, and 23, and they come from 2 Timothy. He says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control and power. These are the fruits of the Spirit. He says, look, you have a relationship with God the Father. Why? Because Jesus the Son came to earth, saved you, washed you clean, and brought you to the Father. The Father then puts His Spirit in you. And He goes, if that happened, if God put the Spirit in you, these are coming, you won't be able to stop them. They will show up. Amen. So what's funny is, some of us look at that list and go, Oh, that's an optional. That'd be nice if I had those things, but I'm really good on the saved thing. Like, I know if I die today, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, I don't have any of that stuff. But, you know, I've got the fire insurance that if it really goes bad today driving home, I'll be with God. And what God continually said to His people, No, if I have poured myself into you, it is not possible that you look the same. It is not possible that you before me can look like you after me. Not possible. If I'm in you, these things will show up. Not optional. They just will. And so as Christians, what I'm asking you guys to look at is look in the mirror and go, are these part of my life? Do these describe me? Would others see this in me? Because they should be present. Now, I'll be honest. For some of us, it may be like a really tiny, unripe fruit. But it's still there. Right? It may not be the apple we take to the sword cell. But we can still tell it's an apple tree. Alright? If you look at it and go, I have no idea what kind of tree that is. There is no fruit anywhere. Problem. Okay? So please, today what we're looking at is we're looking at peace, faithfulness, and power. But what I don't want you doing is leaving here going, I'm going to be more peaceful. I want you leaving here going, I'm going to get closer to Christ. And in doing that, He's going to give me this. All right? Open up your Bibles with me. Let's talk about faithfulness. Look at John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Sorry, that's kind of hard to read there. It's John chapter 11, 1 through 44. Now, this is a longer passage, but to me it is an unbelievable passage that shows the faithfulness of Christ that creates peace and power. And I want you to pay attention to something here. Some of us have a problem when we read this book. Some of us, when we read this book, we are reading it like a consumer. What I mean is is you open this book up and you start to read a story about Jesus and what Jesus did and how Jesus acted and what you take away from it is, you know what? I need to be more peaceful. You know what? I need to judge people less. And somehow what you miss is, this Jesus guy's awesome. Some of us, we read this and we miss, like, this is a story about a man named Jesus and the situations he was in and how he responded. And what should really happen first for us is when we read it is go, what a guy. What an awesome man. Man, I am so excited. That's my Lord. Amen. And I am so proud that I get to follow that guy. Man, I would go to hell and back for that man because that's the kind of guy I follow. Some of us miss that. We read it and we just go like, okay, yeah, I get the, the, the value lesson there. No. Read it and see the man you're in love with. Read it and see the Savior that you'll follow anywhere. That's what you want to see in these words. So look, look at this. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Martha who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said this, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So I want you to understand the context here. In Jesus' life, most of the time, we will see him spend all of his time with his disciples. He has this very close knit with the disciples and with those guys, like for for 18 months of his three years ministry, night and day he's with those guys. They eat with him, they travel with him, they sleep in the same place as him, he teaches him, his life is pouring into these men. There is then a very small group of people that are just Jesus' friends. Not necessarily his disciples who are going to carry on his ministry, they're just the people that he loves to be around. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are siblings who fit into that group. I've always thought these three must have been some really cool people. But like think about right Jesus, not just saving people, he loves everyone, but like these are the ones that Jesus walked with and go, I love these people. I love hanging around Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so get the scenario here. Here's Jesus who is healing people all the time who's making miracles happen, and what does he learn? He learns Lazarus is deathly sick. As just a man, what do you think his initial desire was? To go be with him, right? I mean, if you find out your best friend is deathly sick, what are you going to want to do? Go. But God's telling Jesus something else, and he's telling them, wait. 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 And what Jesus is saying is he says, God's talked to me and here's what he's telling me. He's telling me that this illness, this is something for God's glory. So I'm going to wait. I want you to understand that in the context of this story. Because to me, that is huge about the faithfulness that Jesus has in God. The faithfulness that he has in his father. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were not just now seeking to stone you, and you are going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he had meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us all go that we may die with him. So I want you to understand, you get the second layer of complexity now. So first off, Jesus is emotionally stressed. Why? His best friend is dead. And he wants to stop it. The second thing that's stressful is, is Jesus was just in Judea. And the powerful people in that town tried to kill him. So his disciples are looking at him going, go back to Judea. Jesus, we were just there. They tried to kill you. If we go, they're going to finish it. They're going to finish the work off. And what I love is he tells them in his way, I have the light. I see clearly where I'm going. You gentlemen walk in the dark and you don't know where you're stepping. I see the light. I know where I'm going. Now what I love about the disciples, and this is what I want to have in our lives, we will never be Jesus. Jesus. Okay? Regularly, you and I are going to be in the dark. But what I love about the disciples is this. They think he's walking to his death. And what do they say? We're going with you. We're going with you. See, those are men who follow Jesus not for what he has, but because of who he is. Amen. Because see, people who just follow for what you have, once they realize you're going to die, they'll be like, well, peace out. You won't be able to do much for me after you're dead. So, hey, it's been great. Love the journey. Godspeed. speed. Let me know how it goes. Right? I mean, let's be real. We've all had those friends. Right? There's the friends who will ride with you and then there's the friends who will ride with you all the way. Right? The ones that you know, like, you could tell them, we're going to probably get beat up here. And they'll be like, I'm with you. Let's do it. They will knowingly go into failure with you. That's a good friend. That's the disciples. And why? Because they truly love Jesus. They're confused by it. They don't understand it. They don't get it. But they know what? They love that man. And if he's going, we're going too. Man, I want us to have that. The beauty I want you to see here is this. This is the definition of faithfulness. Could Jesus see all the things that they're talking about? Absolutely. In fact, Jesus knew more than them how much people hated him. Jesus more than them knew how much those people wanted to kill him. But the beauty of Jesus is this. Jesus never lets the circumstances of life create fear, stress, or worry in him. So let me pause real quick to define power. How I define power based on what I see in the Bible is this. The ability to influence the circumstances of life and to impact the people who are around you. Let me say that again. Power is the ability to influence the circumstances in your life and the power to impact the lives of those people around you. Okay? I'm not talking about God's going to make each of you the strongest men in the world who can bench press 500 pounds. All right? When I talk about power, what I'm saying is, is God's going to make people who, when the circumstances of life hit, don't freak out, don't be terrified, aren't stressed, aren't worried. And instead of cowering, are able to actually influence those circumstances and change people's lives. That's power. And so where the power for Christ always starts is this. Jesus always believes Dad's driving. He always believes Dad's driving the car. Jesus never wakes up, sees life coming at him and goes, oh, this is a mistake. This wasn't supposed to happen. I don't get this. Well, I mean, I have specifically worked to be not in this situation. I, I don't get it. That never happens for him. Jesus always assumes if something's happening, it's for a reason. God's in control. He didn't get weaker overnight. He directs my life. He puts me into position. If this is happening, it's because he wants me to make a change here. He has put me here for a reason. So where most people freak out about the circumstances, worry, stress, and even worse, want to argue with God about whether they should even be in them? Be honest. How many of you in the midst of terrible circumstances have spent weeks arguing with God about whether you should even be there? Have you ever done that? God, this is a mistake. I mean, I'm not saying you're perfect, or not perfect, but could you just check the plan again? Because I don't think this was supposed to happen to me. (laughs) I mean, let me just paint a case for you. I mean, have you seen my church attendance? Have you seen my tithes? I mean, I know sometimes I don't, but I'm pretty regular, and I'm a heck of a lot better person than these neighbors I live around. I mean, those pagans, my goodness. I mean, if anybody should be dealing with these circumstances, it's these guys. And in all of that, you're not announcing any kind of power. In all of that, you're denying that you think God messed up? What Jesus always knew is if this is happening, God wanted it to happen. And he's put me here for a reason. And because of that, what it created in him is, first, he responded peacefully. No stress, no worry. It's amazing how even in just chaos, if you're the person who's at peace, you immediately have a powerful presence no one else has. Immediately. And that's what Jesus has here. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Man, talk about faith. Right? Talk about faith. This woman's so strong in her faith that she's sitting here going, I wish he'd been here. If he'd been here, I know my brother wouldn't have died. But I know now, if you want him to come back, he will. I know right now, if you want him to, he, you can bring him back. That's faith. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Do you get the emotion here? Like You remember how at the beginning of the story I told you some of us we make this mistake of not reading about Jesus? It's funny, I'll be honest, in my personal prayer life, in my personal study, I never referred to him as Jesus. I refer to him as Yeshua. I would have never called him Jesus. His Hebrew name was Yeshua. It's kind of like, do you remember being in Spanish class when you were like in high school? they'd be like when you were in Spanish class all of a sudden you weren't Luke anymore you were Lucas and I always laughed at that because it was like if I went to Spain I'm still Luke and I'm all going to be like oh well now that you've entered our borders you now have a foreign name Lucas no I would still be Luke well they didn't call him Jesus they didn't say J's that way it was Yeshua and so when I read this sometimes I just try to read about the man Yeshua do you see the emotion he had for these people? Even in the midst of being God, even in the midst of being the one who can say, let there be light and the sun appears, he sees his friend is dead, he sees his sister sad, and he cries. He cries. Because he feels what they feel. I think we miss that sometimes. And to me, guys, that's the beauty of our, our Savior. That's why I can have this, this life-changing relationship with him is because he's not just like God on some golden throne. He's Yeshua. He knows what it's like to be cold and hungry. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be mocked and to be hurt. He knows what it's like to cry because you've lost someone you love. He knows what it's like to walk this world. God gave us him so that we could sit there and when we have that bad day, go, It's a rough day. It's a rough day. Just need to talk to you about it. It was hard. He gave us that so we could have that kind of intimacy. I mean, be real, right? When I have a crap day at work, I want to be with my wife. Not because I think she's going to solve it. In fact, most of the time, I know the problems I will bring her, she can't solve. But I want to be with her. Because even though the circumstances won't change, being with her makes me feel different. Being with her makes me feel peace. That's how your relationship with Christ should be not that you come to him for the solution but that you just come to him and go I just need to be with you right now just need to talk to you about this I need you just to share with you how the day went that's the kind of relationship we're longing for then Jesus deeply moved again came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone laid against it Jesus said take away the stone Martha the sister of the dead man said to him Lord by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days Do you get it they don't believe they don't believe that he can do this. It's always amazing to me because so many people go, man, why does God talk to us so mysteriously? Why has it got to be through a song, or through prayer, or through the Bible? If he, why doesn't he just show up? Man, if he was just here, in the room, and I could talk to him, I would know exactly what to do, I would believe him, and I would listen. And what this shows us, no, we wouldn't. No, we wouldn't. Even if Jesus was sitting here in the flesh with you, explaining to you, Hey, David, let's talk about where you're in life right now and where you need to go. There would still be us sitting there going, Eh, I don't know if that's the right plan, man. You know what? Jesus, good idea. Let's use that as the backup plan. I'm going to do what I've mapped out because I think it's pretty sharp. And if it doesn't work, I'll come back to you. Even in the flesh, God present, people ignored him. People doubted him. and let him go. Man, that is power. Amen. In every way, shape, and form. What you first see is that Christ is faithful in God, which means he never assumes that he's in a mistake. The circumstances of life do not scare him. And because of that, he has two things. He has peace and he has power. Always. Always. Peace and power always. One of my favorite examples of this is in John chapter 10. They're talking about Jesus' impending death and he says this, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Always, with everything. He looks at his disciples and goes, I got this. You boys don't get the game I'm playing. You boys don't get it. You think the circumstances control me. I control the circumstances. I control them. Even to the point of death, he knew. My death is for his purposes. It will not make me afraid. Will not make me afraid. And continually, that's what we see with Jesus. Peace and power. Do you remember in the desert with Satan? In the desert with Satan, you have a Jesus who is fasting. Fasting. 40 days, no food. Imagine what that does to your body. Imagine how weak you are. Satan shows up and is using Scripture to try to trick him. Do you ever see fear? Do you ever see worry? Do you ever see stress? No. Christ never even for a second wonders why he's there. Christ assumes if this is happening it's because God's will wants it to happen. No fear. Instead, he responds in power. You think you know the Word? I am the Word. Let me teach you, Satan. And even in his weakened state, finally just gets tired and says, "Be gone." And what does Satan do? Disappears. Because here's the beauty: Satan even knows if God wants him gone, he's gone. Amen. You and I have this weird view sometimes that like it's this eternal battle between light and darkness: who will win? That's not the way it goes. Amen. There is a light that will vanquish all darkness, and darkness knows it. Amen. Right. <laughs> Peace and power. Remember Jesus in the storm in the boat. Paul's asleep in the boat. Terrible storm comes. His disciples are freaking out. They're worried. They're terrified. Yet they don't want to wake him. Kind of reminds me when I was a kid and Dad was sleeping. Do you remember having that Dad who slept Sundays and that was like his nap time? They kind of had that thing around the house like, "Don't wake Dad," right? Well, Jesus is sleeping. They're freaking out. Finally, they wake him up. We're gonna die. And Jesus just kind of looks at them like, do you guys really think this is how it's going to end? Yep. Yep. God sent his one and only son to the earth to drown in a boat. (laughs) And he just calmly looks at them, calms them down, then looks at the storm and says, be still. Peace and power. Do you remember the woman caught in adultery? One of my favorite stories. It's one of my favorites because it's the example of not just earth having circumstances. It's when enemies line up circumstances against you. Man, the Pharisees plotted for weeks on this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring this woman caught in adultery. We're going to do it in a public place. He's not going to expect it to happen. And then he's going to have to choose. He can either agree with Moses' law, which will result in her death, and all of a sudden, Mr. Nice Guy Jesus doesn't look so nice. Or, he'll tell us, don't obey Moses' law, and then immediately we can call him a heretic. Beautiful plan. I mean, you can tell from reading the passage, these guys were impressed with their own brilliance. They're like, this is brilliant, man. This is is the best idea we've had. They drag this woman, they throw him at her feet, and let's be real, did Jesus know that was going to happen that morning? No. And what I love is their expectation is, he's going to be stressed. He's not going to know this is going to happen, he's not going to know what to say, he's not going to know how to react. And so their whole attack is based on, he's going to freak out. Jesus doesn't freak out at all. In fact, as they're all yelling and screaming, he starts drawing in the dirt, and they all start looking at him. I'm like, Why? Do, you, do you not understand what we've done here?
1: Like, I feel like you've
0: almost missed this whole thing we've set up for you, Jesus. And then calmly, peacefully, he looks at them and goes, go ahead. Ye who is without sin, throw the first stone. I won't stop you. Turns it right back on them. And what I love is, they set the whole thing up to make him stressed out and he just in one sentence flips it back on them and immediately they sit there going well we can't throw a stone because then we're saying we're without sin which means we're against God. what God says is possible what do we do and what's funny is it's the older guys who leave first realizing like he got us <laughs> and the younger guys are still kind of sitting there like there's got to be a way to work through this he clearly kind of beaten us that easily but they all eventually all leave Even when Jesus is standing before Pilate. I love it because Pilate is a man who has the ability to kill him in his hands. And what Pilate expects is, you should be begging for your life. Even questions him like, do you not have anything to say for yourself? I'm about to kill you. Don't you want to plead for your life? Explain why this is a mistake? Beg me not to let this happen? Explain why these guys are lunatics? And Jesus instead gives him a speech about his kingdom. Please explain to them, you don't get it, my kingdom's not here, my kingdom's up there. And if you think you can take my life, you clearly don't understand who I am. Nowhere did you put him, did he ever fear. And so brothers and sisters, what I want us to see is, while well, you and I aren't Jesus, we can still respond in the same way, and we should, because he's the vine, we're the branches. All these examples and many more that show him acting this way, what he's saying is, this is what I have. This is what I give you. That's why last week when we talked about that story, where the disciples stand before the council and they go, you've been with Jesus, haven't you? They're like, the the way you're reacting, the only person we know who does this is him. That should be you and me. So let me just give you a few last things here. One, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Frankly, the reason a lot of us are bad evangelists is because we talk way too much and do too little. How you hit people's hearts is not necessarily through words. You hit them through action. You hit them with power. If we're hoping this church grows because I talk, we're in trouble. How this church will grow is you guys going outside those doors and powerfully showing love to people who haven't seen in a long time. And when they see that power, they will go, that's the kingdom of God. But here's what you need to realize. The expectation is you display power. Not me, not him, you. Do you get that? You have to be a powerful person. There's a lot of you who like to play the victim. God goes, not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, we work off power. And trust me, i got enough to give you. It will not run out. Power has to define you. (laughs) Second, Isaiah 26.3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you as this world will try to throw circumstances at you that will make you not feel peace. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's probably Satan's greatest tool. He knows that in peace we can display power, so what he tries to do is take that away. Mm -hmm. And there are so many of us that we quickly lose our peace. One circumstance of life change, one thing changes about our health, one thing changes about a relationship, one thing changes (laughs) about our finances, and all of a sudden, it's chaos. Like, let me just give you guys a notice here. Any of you who are breathing, I have some bad news for you. You will die. You are all going to die. At one point or another in your life, every single one of you will either just stop breathing or will have a doctor come to you and warn you that something is about to make you just stop breathing. A hundred percent of us. here's what's interesting. We know this. And yet, still many of us, when that moment comes, will freak out. Yet, what's funny is we know this. No one lives forever. (laughs) Set your mind on the kingdom, and peace will come your way. Lastly, Luke 16.10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? What Jesus is saying here is, be faithful to me in little and I will keep giving you more. Now let me be careful because some people always hear that and go, great, if I'm good with my money, Jesus will give me more money. I am not promising you health, wealth, and prosperity. Frankly, I almost want to promise you the opposite. If you read this book and you understand the guys who were really good at this Christianity thing, health, wealth, and prosperity don't come to them. None of the good ones end up in a castle at 250 years old, very popular. Okay, Most end up broke, murdered, and alone. But they have a power that comes from him. So don't expect health, wealth, and prosperity. What I'm saying, though, is if you come to God and you are faithful in the little things He gives you, He will keep giving you more power to make a difference in this kingdom. Amen. He will give you the ability to influence your circumstances and He will give you the ability to impact the lives of the people around you. He will give you that power. I know we're a little late, but I want to give you one last example of this. That's, right, right? <laughs> That's a good point, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to start next week's sermon and wait for the rain to clear, all right? <laughs> uh, flip with me to Acts 16. One, one quick story here. <coughs> Dang it. I <laughs> think that's God's time. That's enough. <laughs> He's like, wrap it up. <laughs> <coughs> Acts 16 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. These two men are in prison. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Can you imagine being in a prison and having that happen? Right, you're in prison, earthquake comes, all the doors open, all the shackles break. I mean, what's funny is, like, I would immediately be reading this as God wants me to run right like clearly God wants me to leave right I would need no nudging I would be no praying on that I would just be like let's go right when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped the reason he does this is the Romans were very strict on how you guarded prisoners because they never wanted the men to fall asleep what they told them is if any of your prisoners escape we will torture you for weeks and then kill you so this man he assumes all the prisoners are gone and what he's going is I am not being tortured for weeks I'm killing myself right now he assumes death is coming I'm going to make it as pain free as possible but Paul cried with a loud voice do not harm yourselves for we all hear And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought him into his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that they believed in God. That's power. That is power. Paul and Silas in jail. These circumstances happened which could have gone a million different ways and instead of them being caught up in the moment they peacefully made the decision that we are here to save men not to save ourselves. Think about that. Think about the clarity of mind they had. Most of us would have just ran. They were smart enough in the moment to go, this is never about saving us. Frankly, if we were trying to protect ourselves we wouldn't be in this game. We're here to save others. And not only are they so peaceful themselves, but they're so powerful. They influence the rest of the prisoners to stay. Do you ever catch that part? That to me, honestly, is the craziest part of it. It's not that they stay. It's that they have such influence, the others stayed with them. And in that moment, they look at a man who probably spent most of his days beating and torturing them, and they share the gospel with them. They show him love. And it's a love that impacts not his life, but his entire families. That's power. Amen. That's what God wants to give to you. It's not people who use power to, to make their life something, but people who use power to change the world. <coughs> Frankly, guys, this is why it's amazing to me that people don't want to be part of the church or like are reluctant to be here. To me, I'm like, if, if that's you, you clearly don't get what this is. This is so awesome, you can't keep me away. This is so amazing, you couldn't pay me to be anywhere else. I don't come here because I have to. I come here because there's nowhere else I want to be. Amen. That's the emotion that should drive this. But here's the key, and I'll say it just one last time. The reason some of you have that emotion is, is you're chasing after what God has, not after Him you've come to church, you've read your Bible, you've obeyed the rules, not because you want to hear His voice, but because you're hoping He's going to bless you. doesn't work that way. You will be here passionately and on fire when you see Him face to face. Amen. Man, when you hear that voice calling you, when you've worked side by side with Him, once that's happened, you ain't going anywhere else. Amen. That's the fire that's got to be happening. So I'll encourage you one last time today. Be strange. Don't be normal. Don't be mediocre. Don't blend into the crowd. Be strange. Because you have a life-changing love with Christ. we well, going to come up and lead us in a song. Me and Brother Joe are going to be down here at the front to yeah. pray with you. I encourage some of you. I know there are some people in this room, you have maybe played Christian, but you actually don't know Yeshua. You never come face to face with them. If you're ready for that, feel free to come up and talk to us. Feel free to seek us out after service. Brothers and sisters, there's a Savior there who wants to know you and has a plan for your life. Amen.